Well, good morning. Everybody's going to count for two people today, all right? And that's what we'll do. So good to be here today, and glad that you uh, sledded in today and got through the through the weather. Not a bad group today, considering the weather. And and boy, did you miss the hour? Oh goodness. I'd like to have that hour back, and so good to have Mary here today. Mary, that's my wife, Pam, that you're sitting by right there, and, and uh, good to have her here today, and looking forward to a great day. I'm uh, talking about the uh, calling today, and we are, we are in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, and today we're going to look at the calling of the first disciples. You know, when God calls you, you never know what you're going to do. Sometimes God surprises you with the calling. And the calling God gives you can lead you into many different directions. I remember when I was called uh, to preach and then called to... uh, minister at my first church, I was the associate pastor. And I was 17 years of age, and I was still in high school. And so uh, they bossed me around and told me all kinds of stuff to do. I didn't know what going out and doing surveying was, but I'd go out and survey. I'd go door to door, knock on doors, and ask folks where they went to church, and did surveying. And then um, I um, at times went to church and they said, well, the minister of music is going to be gone today and you're going to fill in. And uh, I said, well, I'm not a singer. And they said, well, just act like you are. (laughs) So I'd get up there and I'd say, glory to God, hallelujah. We're going to stand and sing 475, victory in Jesus. Here we go. Boy, I'd, I'd get them going. Now, I I could do a lot of things I didn't know I could do because I knew God had called me. And God does surprise us with His calling. I heard the story last week at the governor's prayer breakfast. I was there with Steve Barton and some others, but I heard the story about the politician who, uh, and I guess this would work for a preacher too, but politician was talking to his wife and said, Honey, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think I would be in this position and I'd be a lieutenant governor and I'd be, you know, in the state house? In your wildest dreams, did you ever see me in this position? Politician's wife said, I got news for you. In my wildest dreams, you were never in them. You, you think about that one, all right? I don't know if I showed up in Pam's wildest dreams or not, but uh, Mark chapter 3, we find a calling. And um, I was thinking about great leaders and how that they call good people to be around them. One of the greatest coaches of all time was Vince Lombardi. Lombardi uh, lived a long life. 
and um, was a great football coach up there for the Green Bay Packers. And by the way, when you play football at Green Bay, you just got to be a hardy sort of. I mean, you got to be a, you know, you got to have some stamina up there. They get out there and clean the snow off the pews or the, the benches there, and they, they call the chapel all right, so it's like a church up there. But anyway, you go to Lambeau Field, man, they, they get out there and volunteers are out there working, and it's just, you know, a hearty group of people up there. But Lombardi coached up there, and not only was he a great coach, had great players like Bart Starr and others, but he had great wisdom. And so I, I found three quotes from Vince Lombardi that I think are great quotes. One quote, he said, Men respond to leadership in a most remarkable way. And once you have won their heart, they will follow you anywhere. That's a great quote. Lombardi also said, People who work together will win. And then he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. That's true. Man, when you get tired, when you get worn out, you find your heart kind of losing its stamina. But there's something about surrounding yourself with people that encourage you, that cheer you on, that, that just bring out the best in you. There's a place in Oklahoma called Hobart, Oklahoma. Down there in Hobart or Hobart, they, uh, they got a church that is famous for having great preachers come through that church. And uh, there's a, an old deacon there at that church, at First Baptist Church in Hobart. And uh, another guy came to him one time and was complaining about their preacher. Said, boy, we got a preacher. Said, he ain't good for nothing. So he can't preach his way out of a out of a wet paper bag. Boy, he's just, you know, contrary, and, and we, we just can't stand this preacher that we got. And so this uh, deacon from First Baptist Church Hobart said, Give him to us, and we'll make a preacher out of him. And I thought about that. You know, some, some churches think that when they got a, a preacher, you know, he's to do all the work and, and, you know, he's to make the church. I got news for you. Every great leader surrounds themselves with good people. Jesus knew that. And that's why Jesus called 12 disciples to come along and to help carry out his work. Let's look at the calling. Alright? Let me read for us verses 13 through 15. Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. And He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom He Himself wanted, and they came to Him. And He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him and that He could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Let me stop right there and tell you, Jesus called these 12 individuals to come along and to carry out His vision. It is one thing 
to cast a vision. It's something else to catch that vision. I've, I've been pretty successful through the years at not only casting a vision, but having people catch it and lay hold of it. A president, a governor, any leader, they can throw a vision out there, but to have people catch it and hang on to it, it's much easier to cast than to catch. Ask Donald Trump. Ask President Trump when it comes to health care. A lot easier to cast than to catch. Ask when it comes to any kind of reform that you're trying to make. Easier to throw it out there than to have people catch it and lay hold of it. Now, one thing Jesus did, He prayed before He had to make a hard decision. That is wonderful advice for you and I. Before we ever make a critical decision, we need to bathe that thing in prayer. We find this in verse 13. We're going to look at it in a moment. But Jesus spent hours in prayer beforehand. Boy, we, we sometimes think, well, I don't need to pray about this. Pat was talking about meniscus. I, I don't think I'd heard that word until I came to First Baptist Church. <laughs> now everybody's got a meniscus tear. Last week, Sandy Greer told me she's got a meniscus tear. Dr. Eastep, not too long ago, had a repair for a meniscus tear. I tell you what we all ought to do. Let's just all get together... We'll go to the same doctor, we'll get a group discount, alright? <laughs> and we'll all get our meniscus taken care of. Don't you love saying that word, meniscus? There's just something about that. The calling. Jesus spent time in prayer before He called. Now, these disciples remind me of you and I. Some of them were... It looked like the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they were way, way down there. Why in the world would Jesus call a tax collector, a bunch of fishermen, a doubting Thomas, a loudmouth Peter? Why in the world would Jesus call these people? I'll tell you why. Because He could see the heart and also see their future. That's why the Lord calls us. Why in the world would, you know, the Lord call a kid from Jones, Oklahoma, didn't know much, thought he knew more than what he really did? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because God saw my heart and God saw my future. One of the greatest joys in life I have is to walk into a hospital room and grab someone by the hand and say, let me pray for you. And I do that time and time and time again during the week. One of the greatest joys I have is to stand in baptismal waters and to tell someone, because Christ lives and reigns in your heart, it's my joy to baptize you, my brother or my sister. Today I've got two lined up for baptism. Pray for me. I've got two. And uh, you don't know this and you can't see this. But what happens when you have a child and an adult that you're baptizing? That child comes in first. I baptize the child. 
And then before the adult comes in, I do this. What I'm doing, I'm taking this leg and kicking that stool out of the way because there's not room for the adult to get in until I kick the stool out of the way. But you're not going to see that, alright? In fact, I'm pretty good. You're not even going to see my upper body move, but I'm going to be doing this, alright? I look like one of the Irish dancers, don't I? Put my hands behind my back. Or my hands by my side. That's how they do it, yeah. Barbara's up there coaching me, alright? The calling, all right, I'm getting back on track, all right, lost track there. But God, God has an amazing way that He takes people that look like they would be, you know, just good for nothing, but when they're filled with the Spirit of God, armed with the Word of God, when they are empowered by God, they can do amazing things. Discipleship is all about learning to lean on the Lord. D.L. Moody was a great preacher, but he wasn't qualified. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, never went to college, never went to seminary, but he's called the prince of preachers. And the reason why is because they were filled with this amazing power of God. Well, let's look at these three things in our text today. Number one, look at the Master. Man, look at the Master. Verse 13. In verse 13, you find that Jesus went up on the mountain. Then the Bible says He summoned those that He Himself wanted. Now I've got that underlined in my Bible. That He Himself wanted. And we find that the Master here, Jesus, got away from the crowds and went up on a mountain to a solitude, solitary place. It was a time of special communion. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 is kind of a parallel to this. In Luke 6, 12, it says, it was at this time that He went off to the mountain to pray. And He spent the whole night in prayer to God. Big decisions require big prayers. Jesus got away by Himself. Prayed all night according to Luke. These twelve guys would be His spokesmen, His representatives. And so, Jesus knew they needed to spend time in prayer. The Broadman Bible Commentary says the mountaintop is traditionally the setting for solemn divine acts. Have you ever studied that in the Bible? The mountains in the Bible? Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments. Mount Horeb, place where Moses died. Mount Nebo, the place where Moses died. Mount Horeb, Mount uh, Carmel, where Elijah did battle up there with the prophets of Baal. On and on and on we find these mountaintop experiences in the Bible were dramatic. Remember Abraham, Mount Moriah, where he took his son up there, Isaac. And so, the Broadman commentary is right. Whether it be Moses, or Elijah, or Abraham, or Jesus, the mountaintop was 
a special place. Now, what a lesson for us though. That Jesus, even the very Son of God, had to spend a whole night in prayer before an important decision. Let me get personal. Have you ever made a decision and you know you didn't pray about it and you made a wrong decision? And God said, I gave you what you got because you didn't ask me first. I want to tell you, this, this is just kind of free stuff here, but listen to me. If you give your tithe to the Lord, it's God's responsibility to take care of If you pray before making a decision and you're led by the Spirit of God, it's God's business to take care of that decision. But if you make it on your own, buddy, you're on your own. I had a lady one time catch me after church. She said, do you have a moment, Pastor? Now I know what that means. She wants more than a moment. I said, yes, ma'am. And so she's out there and she's telling me all about her son that went out into the far country and messed his life up and left God, left the church, left home, and he's out there living in rebellion. And what she wanted, she wanted me to tell her how to fix that situation in about five minutes. I said, dear lady, I want to tell you something. He spent 40 years screwing his life up and you're not going to fix it in five minutes. There's a way back for any prodigal. But if you've been away from God in 40 years, don't expect to get all cleaned up overnight. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But we find that Jesus knew the importance of prayer. Oswald Chambers, the great uh, writer of devotional books, said the prayer of the feeblest saint who lives in the Spirit and keeps right with God is a terror to Satan. The very powers of darkness are paralyzed by prayer. Isn't that a great quote? The very powers of darkness are paralyzed by prayer. I don't know about you, but I'd like to paralyze Satan. Wouldn't you like to do that? Someone said one time they'd like to have one of them stun guns. One of them tasers, alright, to use on Satan. I'd like to have something bigger than that. Zapping. You and I have the ability to do that by prayer. Also, there's a time of sovereign choice here. Verse... uh, Verse number 13 says that Jesus summoned 12. Why 12? Well, a lot of people kind of speculate that it's um, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus has 12 disciples to correspond with the 12 tribes of Israel. I like what one commentary I read said because that's the way he wanted to do it. And that's simply it. A sovereign Lord can do what He wants to do. So, He called twelve. Now, let me answer the question you're all thinking. I know it's back there in the back of your spiritual mind. Why Judas? Why in the world would He call Judas? 
Well, Sovereign Lord knows the future, knew the heart of Judas. A Sovereign Lord knew what was going to happen, but Jesus called Judas because he was part of God's master plan. Now, I also want you to know this. When you look at the twelve disciples, Judas betrayed the Lord. But did not Peter also? Did not they all flee? Who was the only disciple that went to the cross? Just John. Just John. So, in some ways, we might be critical of Judas. As I look around the room today, and I'm looking at me too, we've all had times when we betrayed the Lord and denied Him. And so, just like you and I, these disciples had feet of clay. But the Master... The Master made a sovereign choice after prayer. I'm going to move on. Alright, number two. Look at the mission. Why did Jesus call these disciples? Look at the mission here. Verse 14 and 15. We find in these two verses there is a pattern and a priority of ministry. It remains the same today. The mission that these disciples had it's the very same mission that you and I have today. Alright, listen to it. It involves discipleship. Verse 14, And He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him. Let me stop there. Think about that. Jesus said, I'm calling these disciples because I want them to spend time with Me. The greatest thing any child of God can do is to spend time with the Lord. I mean, can, can you imagine a wedding? I've got one I'm performing this coming week on Friday and Saturday, but can you imagine a wedding? You got the groom on this side, you got the bride over here, here's the bridesmaids, here's the groomsmen. By the way, isn't it funny how that it just seems like it's growing and growing. I, I mean, it used to be like you'd have one person stand up with you. Now they got 20 bridesmaids and 20 groomsmen. And, you know, they're going down the aisle. Going down the, you know, it takes forever to have a wedding because you've got these 20 people. And, and then have you ever gone to a wedding rehearsal and you got the wedding director putting tape everywhere and saying, you stand here and you stand here? And it takes forever. Anyway, that's just a pet peeve of mine. But anyway... Um, <laughs> But can you imagine having a wedding? You got the groom, you got the bride, and, and you got the 20 people on both sides. And the preacher's doing the wedding. And he gets to this point and says, Okay, groom, do you take her to be your wife? Forsaking all others, will you cleave to her as long as you shall live? Would you say, I do? And he stands there and there's a Pregnant pause. <laughs> well, I, I, nah, I'd like to you know, spend time with this one over here a little bit longer, and I'd like to spend time with this one, and, and you know, I, I don't think I'll cleave to her only. You know what that bride ought to do? Yeah. <laughs> Decky. <laughs> 
Can you imagine someone coming to Christ and saying, now Lord, I'm going to spend time with You, but I'm also going to spend time out here in the world. I'm also going to spend time over here. And Lordship means you put Him on the throne of your life and He has no rival. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Discipleship. Jesus said these twelve would spend time with Him. Well, it also involved a declaration. The Bible says He would send them out to preach. Uh, preaching. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says the beginning of the Gospel. Mark's book here is all about the preaching of the Gospel, this, this good news. It's good news to know that we can be forgiven. It's good news to know that we have a God who is with us through the valleys of life. It's good news to know that at the time of death we go to be with the Lord and we are forever in His presence. All those things are good news. And so we have a wonderful good news gospel to preach. These disciples were going to declare the gospel, the message of the gospel. Uh, look over just a moment to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 14. Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, 14. Kirby, we're on 968, alright? 968. You've got to read that for us. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Yeah, there, there's the, the preaching, the power of preaching. And uh, these twelve disciples would be sent out to declare the Gospel, the good news. Well, it also involved a demonstration. Look at verse 15. Mark 3.15, and to have authority to cast out the demons. There would be a demonstration of power. Now I want to tell you, if you spend time with the Lord, if you spend time with Him in prayer, if you're proclaiming His message, you're going to have a demonstration of power in your life. It may not be the casting out of demons, but it's going to be the casting out of something else. Have you ever been on a diet? Several times. <laughs> Have you ever been on a diet and, and you were afraid to tell someone you were on a diet because you thought, if this thing doesn't succeed, I'll lose some weight. They're going to look at me and go, man, you're a failure. You want to know why Weight Watchers is so successful? Because you go and there's a community of people and you show up, you weigh in, whatever, and they cheer you on. And there's accountability. You want to know why some people succeed in the Christian life and others fail? It's because some have an outward demonstration of the new life and people know it 
and others don't have the outward demonstration. You see, casting out demons, this was simply an outward sign of an inward change. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward experience. And you and I have all kinds of ways that we show people what's happening on the inside, but it's demonstrated on the outside here. What happens in the heart is demonstrated in the change that we have in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Brand new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So the mission of the Lord was to spend time with Him. To have this declaration of the good news, the Gospel, and then a demonstration of that new life. A testimony. Alright, let me move on. Alright, third and last. We're going to look at the men here. The men. Verses 16 through 19, you find the men. Now verse 16 begins a list of names. Verse 16 says, And He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom He gave the name Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brothers of James. And then down verse 18, And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed Him. So, when you look at these, these names, you find that they were appointed. You may have a translation in verse 16 that says, He ordained the twelve. That simply means He set apart the twelve. He appointed them for the task. Now, verse 19 Judas Iscariot. Uh, the word Iscariot means Judas from Carioth. Carioth was a town there in Judea. Judas of Carioth. The one who betrayed him. Now, verse 19 reminds us that these were flawed, they were sinners. Let me just again go through the list. Peter, a loudmouth, full of pride. Thomas, a doubter. Simon, a zealot, one to overthrow the government. James and John, what were they? Sons of thunder. That's not a compliment. Alright? When they were called sons of thunder, it means probably they were impetuous. Alright? They had tempers also. And then Judas the betrayer. These men lacked humility, faith, and commitment. But they turned the world upside down with the Gospel. It just reminds me that sometimes God can hit a mighty straight lick with an imperfect stick. It's a good quote. God can. God can take someone who's not absolutely perfect and do a mighty work through them. 
Grace was given. They received it. The Lord has a calling for you and I today. We're to be on mission for Him. We're to be His people declaring the Gospel. I, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Last Sunday, I had a phone call on my answering machine at home. And I got home after church and it was Kmart Pharmacy. I thought, what in the world was Kmart Pharmacy one on a Sunday? And said, oh, Humphreys family, we have a prescription ready to be picked up. So I thought, well, it might be something important. So I asked Pam, I said, Pam, do you have a prescription ready to be picked up at Kmart? Pam said, yeah, I think I do. So I went to Kmart Pharmacy on Sunday afternoon. I got there and there was no line. I said, praise the Lord, don't have to wait in line. So I walked right up to the counter and I said, uh, do you have a prescription ready for the Humphreys family? She went back there and she looked through all the bags. She said, no, I, I don't have one ready for the Humphreys family. I said, well, that's strange. I got a phone call from you guys that said you had a prescription ready. She said, uh, well, uh, you know, that's an automated deal. That's not really a real voice. I said, well, it sounded real. And she said, no, it, it's an automated voice. And I said, well, would you mind looking through your records and seeing if I got one that's almost ready to be picked up? Maybe you could go ahead and fill it since I'm here. And so she said, uh, yeah, there's, there's one that's due to be refilled on Tuesday. And I said, well, now listen, this is Sunday, so you know, Tuesday, three days away, I think you can do that. And she said, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. And I said, oh, oh, that's great, that's great. And I said, well, listen, while I'm here, I'm about out of Flonase. And, uh, you know, I, I need, uh, need another Flonase. And she said, uh, well, let me check. She said, no, she said, uh, that one's not due until the 15th, and we can't fill that today, so uh, you'll have to wait until the 15th on that. And I said, oh, okay, all right. Well, uh, you know, I didn't jump up and down. I didn't panic. I just said, okay. And she said, well, well it'll be about 10, 15 minutes before we get that prescription ready. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just go shop at Kmart. So I went down the aisles looking. and I can tell you all that they have at Kmart. You know, I'm looking. And, and you know, God just got a hold of my heart. And He said, now listen. You make sure you're sweet. You make sure you're kind. You make sure that you've got the velvet voice on. Because there's always people watching. So I went back up there and, and uh, she said, Oh, I, I got your prescription ready. So I looked in the bag. And there was the prescription for Pam. There's also a thing of Flonase in there. And then the pharmacist came out. And, uh, you know, the pharmacist usually doesn't come out. But she came out. And she said, uh, aren't you one of the pastors down at First Baptist Church in Columbia? <laughs> I said, I sure am. She said, you're the one that likes to tell jokes. <laughs> I said, I sure do. She said, yeah, you're the funny one down there. I said, yeah, I, I am. 
Then she said, uh, sure enjoy listening to your service. I enjoy it when I get to hear you preach. She said, I love Dr. Eastep. And she said, I, I love your church. She said, so many times I have to work on Sunday. But I worship through the TV broadcast of First Baptist Church in Columbia. Let me tell you what God told me in that. God said, young man, I've called you. Not just to stand behind a pulpit or to stand behind a lectern, but I've called you. Even at Kmart Pharmacy, I've called you. Now I want you to know something today. Man, listen to me. Come close. Listen to me. God's calling for you this week is not just on Sunday, but it's at Walmart. It's at Kmart. It's dealing with that boss at work that's giving you a hard time. God has a calling for you this week. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank You for Your Word today. Lord, what a joy. What a thrill to live for You. And I pray this week, God, that You would give us open doors and divine appointments. I pray, God, that You would call us. And Lord, that we would hear Your calling. Father, help us to live credible lives this week and a credible witness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all have a great week.